This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Can you believe it? We are celebrating eight years of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. And no, I can't. It's amazing. Yes. As a matter of fact, I know that we are up to like 455 episodes, but we actually have 523 in the feed because of all the different bonus and road trip ones and other things that we've put up there. And now we've added phantasmal crime. We will get back into doing the paranormal conversations. Just bringing people a lot of content for eight years. We have over six and a half million downloads. Just keep cranking them out. <laughs> I know. I never thought that anyone other than my parents would be listening. So it's just been an amazing trip. Definitely want to thank all of the listeners for you guys joining me on this journey and sticking with me. Some of you have been here from nearly the beginning and probably a handful of you have been here from the beginning. They just love you that much. <laughs> And Kelly, you've been with the show now for three years. This is true. So it's been great. We've been going back and doing some Redux episodes for the Patreon, our executive producers. And we've been having a lot of fun revisiting these locations that we've done previously. And one thing I think we can really say about History Goes Bump is that we have featured many locations that people have heard of, but we've done a lot that people have never heard of. Those are always the most interesting ones to me because we get such amazing responses from people that actually are familiar with those places. Yeah, there's always those ones where I'm like, everybody's not going to listen to this one because they're like, oh, I've never heard of that. And then I'll get like eight comments and five emails on it. And I'm like, oh, that one really hit a chord with people. They really enjoyed it. I think we've definitely proven to everybody that history isn't boring. It's terrifying. <laughs> so we hope you guys have enjoyed this journey. We're going to continue to do it. We have a lot of great stuff coming up in the year ahead. And I just love that I started this on October 1st, 2014, because October is our month. It's got Halloween. It's got my birthday. It's just, <laughs> it's fall. What more could we ask for? Exactly. Aside from the pumpkin spice. Now, for those of you who have been listening for a long time, or maybe you're even recent listeners, you might be aware that instead of doing a typical anniversary show like some podcasts do where they do a review of the past year or different shows that they've done, we turn it back on you guys and have invited you for the last seven years to participate in a flash fiction contest. This year, we got 12 entries. And what we're going to be presenting to you here are two of the runner-ups 
and our three winners. For those of you who are winners, we will be contacting you so that we can get your mailing information and get out your prizes to you. We hope you guys all enjoy these. Grab yourself a comforter, some popcorn, something warm, or something that will warm up your bones to drink. Oh, yes. Add a few drops of something that will warm your bones. Before we get into our winners, we do have two runner-ups. Our first runner-up is Hazel by Emma Vergney, and I hope I said that last name right. Hazel liked the cemetery. No, really, she did. It was calm, quiet, and the people were always so nice. There was a nice old man with the walker that would feed the birds, and a little boy that would play with her. None of the kids in town ever played with her. They just froze. Toys left forgotten as they ran to their mothers. She didn't understand why the kids didn't like her, but she was just fine sitting in the cemetery, alone all alone. Hazel was pulled from her thoughts by the short iron gate swinging shut with a clang. Looking around, she saw Eddie and his wife, Laura, standing by a headstone with misty eyes. Apparently, their son had died in a hit-and-run at the age of nine. At first, Hazel tried to tell them that Chuck was right behind them, holding his ball, but they never answered. She stopped after Laura broke down in sobs. Hazel didn't like when people cried. She'd seen so many people cry here, had even tried to comfort some but they shuddered away from her hand. Eddie and Laura set down flowers and a baseball cap before leaving. Hazel picked them up and turned to Chuck, holding the items out with a bright smile. The boy sniffled and placed the hat on his head, flowers clutched in a tight grip. Hazel walked away, seeing Mr. Parker, and she missed the small thank you. Mr. Parker, how are you? She squealed, jumping into his arms. He hadn't been around lately, something about a funeral. Hazel didn't know what that was, but it had fun in it, so it had to be good. The old man let out a soft chuckle as he caught her with practiced ease, plopping down on an old wooden bench. Hey, squirt, Mr. Parker laughed. Mr. Parker, in Hazel's opinion, was the greatest. Sure, his voice was slightly raspy and he smelled sort of like smoke, but he was kind. He gave her the best hugs and the best strawberry candy and was the best person in the world. She didn't like when he left. It made her feel so alone and cold, 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 cold. Did you have fun on your trip? She didn't see anything wrong with the question, but Mr. Parker's smile dropped slightly, eyes morphing into something Hazel couldn't name. Mr. Parker, you good? The man nodded, asking about the week he missed. Hazel knew something was wrong. She wasn't that stupid, but she still answered, happy to have someone to talk to. Hazel would sometimes walk up to a big group wearing black shirts and dresses. They looked so pretty, yet so sad. They never seemed to notice her and always buried the big box. Hazel was happy to get a new friend on those days. Weeks, months, years, decades went by. Headstones became overgrown with moss and vines, no matter how many times she cleared them. Walkways cracked and weeds grew up the iron bar fence. Birds stopped chirping. Eddie and Laura stopped visiting, and Chuck stopped playing. Mr. Parker didn't smile anymore, not even at her. Their joy seemed to fade, and they went with it. She felt it too, of course she did. She was tired and cold and so alone now. Her vision was becoming less vibrant and the world more quiet. So Hazel went searching. For, for something. What was it? She went further into the cemetery than ever before. This part of the courtyard was crumbling. Benches turned to rubble and grass turned to ash. She searched and searched for someone, for anyone, to be her friend. She was on the ground before she knew it. She rolled around and saw a rock, no, a stone, a tombstone. She smiled brightly because this could be her new friend. 
Hazel read the tombstone, and the name took a second to register, and the smile slowly dropped from her face. She read it again, and then again, just to be sure. Hazel sat numbly in front of the stone and felt distant in her own body. Could she even call it a body? Here lies my sweet Hazel Mill. Oh, well, that was very good. Our other runner-up is by Ginny Knowles, The Girl Under the Stairs. It's happening again. I hear the jangle of the keys and the methodical clicking of mechanisms in the lock of the front door. The lady with the worn brown leather briefcase is back. I can smell the leather. It smells like heat and cheap cologne. She tucks the keys into the front right pocket of her pale pink suit jacket, and I notice that the old skeleton key is there with the new ones. She's filled out more since last time, and she's trying to pass off this suit as new. I can see the little green plastic tab from the thrift store tucked into her sleeve, though. She has a slight limp this time. I notice she tries to hide it by leaning a bit to the right, and that the heel of one of her sensible brown high heels is worn down more. She doesn't seem as eager this time, but she's trying so hard to perform. Behind her, a young couple stand, looking excited and full of vigor. They always do. I watch them as they enter the sitting room on the right. The old wood creaks and moans under the weight of their footsteps. I hear the melodic rumble of the lady with the briefcase as she describes the brick of the fireplace and the uniqueness of the unusual crown molding. She always delivers the same tired script. Yes, don't you just love this hardwood floor? Wouldn't this be the perfect home to start a family in? I mouth the words along with her as I lose sight of them going into the kitchen. I sigh forlornly. The couple seems so friendly, so kind. I can't help but wonder, will they find me? The last guy that lived in the house almost did. He wanted a second bathroom on this level of the house and thought that under the stairs would be the perfect location. He had started the process of cutting into the wall and I thought that at last I would be found. My body has been in here for so long. I pause my train of thought and stare down at the pile of bones at my feet. Almost. I was almost free. But Daddy won't let them find me. You see, Daddy is the one who put me here so many years ago. When Mama had run away, I had to step up and care for the younger ones. I tried to be a good girl for Daddy. I tried to do the things he asked. I always seemed to mess up, though. I didn't fix the beans like Mama did. I didn't mend his socks like Mama did. I wasn't as quiet and obedient as Mama. Still, things were okay. It wasn't until Daddy found out that Ezekiel from the neighboring farm had been visiting me that things took a turn. I'd never seen Daddy that angry before. Daddy called me all kinds of hurtful and ugly names, none of them which were true, and then stormed out of the house. When he returned, he was covered in blood. His eyes were so cold and seemed to be all black with rage. That's when he grabbed me by the nape of my neck and shoved me into the space under the stairs. He promised me if I stayed there for a while and was a silent and obedient girl, he'd let me out. I sat there on the floor where the pile of my bones now lays as he sealed up the wall. Over time, I began to realize I wasn't alone in the house. Mama hadn't run away like Daddy had said. No, Daddy had drowned her in the creek while she was doing laundry. The preacher had smiled a minute too long at her during the sermon that morning, and Daddy decided that they were seeing each other behind his back. Her bones were in the wall behind the stove. Ezekiel, poor Ezekiel. Daddy had ambushed him as he strolled home that day. Daddy had beat him to the point of being a mushy sack of man. Only his femur bones and skull had remained somewhat intact. It had been his blood that covered Daddy in its grotesque display. Only a piece of Ezekiel is here in the house, but I don't like to think on which piece. As the years passed, my three younger siblings joined our macabre group of specters in this house of death. Daddy killed them all for being disobedient to him in some form or another. I'm still not sure where their bones are on the property. Daddy eventually joined us. 
He was different in his death form from the rest of us. While the rest of us were mere wispy waves of energy imprinted on the house like images on film, Daddy was whole and tangible. He no longer looked like Daddy, though, as his skin was now a dark, slimy brown that undulated as if bugs nested and burrowed under it. His eyes were truly black now, ringed with a glowing, unearthly red light. His teeth now hung crooked, jagged from his mouth, and seemed to be stretching out into dagger-like points. Truthfully, Daddy seemed to have become the personification of his demons and death. The stairs cried out in protest as the lady and the couple came back into view from upstairs. I'd been so lost in the past that I'd been oblivious to them going upstairs. The man and the woman with the briefcase were discussing property values and FICO scores when the younger woman stopped and looked towards the stairs, seemingly staring at the small hole in the fifth riser that I watched her from. A small glimmer of hope tickled my spine, but was swiftly extinguished by a cold and ominous wave of evil. Oh well, it was nice to have hope even if only for a minute. But Daddy hasn't eaten since the last man, and he is hungry. Ooh, that poor girl under the stairs. And it sounds like Daddy the Demon is keeping them all in check there. You know, we hear about these places that have these mean ghosts that seem to be holding all the other ghost prisoners. Reminds me of that. All right, so now we have our three winners. In third place is Bill Richardson. He will be getting a logo t-shirt and a medal. This one is entitled, All Houses Are Haunted. Per Longfellow, all houses are haunted, or so they say. Those leaving often feel themselves ridding themselves of something detrimental, something unclean, something to be avoided. Those moving in afterwards feel hope and a chance for a new beginning. A short-lived freshness of optimism dimmed by the reality of what lurks inside. But those spirits who inhabit the homes, those who hide in shadows waiting for the right moment to let themselves be known, wait for emotional vulnerability. They remain quiet, brooding, attached to objects that come and go. Attached to the land itself, or the house, or things hidden in it, under it, or in dusty attics. They wait patiently to reveal true motives. Lost and wandering spirits find homes to inhabit. These are the most dangerous as the pent-up emotion of not having closure to a life lived drives them to desperate means. They seek attention and more. Moving silently, no one hears them. Hiding in corners high upon the wall, they wait until sleep comes. Their presence is felt with raising hackles on the back, a sense of dread in the hallway or basement. Violent in their aspect of grabbing, pushing, attacking. They hate the living for no other reason than they are alive and they aren't. Sensitive people feel ill at ease, sensing their presence while others write off cold spots on the AC unit or poor house designs. The children see them. First as friends, as they talk to them and play games with them. Children being innocent of the ways of the mature adult mind, accept them with graciousness. Then the screaming happens in the middle of the night. Parents run to the child as they point at a dark corner. Bewildered parents or siblings turn on the light, seeing nothing, only to comfort the child, turn off the lights, return to bed and sleep, and hear the screaming again. The darker-than-dark corner, the open closet door, the loose back screen door tapping in an unearthly rhythm reminds them of childhood fears repressed and suppressed by years of aging. They remember the woman in the closet tempting them to come closer. The adults are next, their experience amplified. Voices are heard, smells fill the air, 
cold pockets are felt, then the touching as sheets are pulled away, feet touched as they are exposed to night air, accelerated to grabbing, slapping by the spirits as they become emboldened. They appear in mirrors, greening with the facade of decomposition, standing behind the person in the shower watching as they bathe, touching them, sending screams throughout the home. Some crawl out of shadows, reaching for the person with a strong stranglehold that they never had in their reality, yet frighteningly strong now. Other entities standing beside the bed, immovable sentries from the other side. Their presence felt as the people in the bed keep eyes shut and silently pray until it passes. Their malevolent presence, though gone, leaves lasting imprints and often lamps left on as they sleep. Some hide keys, wallets, things used daily that cause no small amount of frustration until the person demands their items and they suddenly appear. Chairs moved out of place, doorknobs turning slowly in front of someone waiting for the significant other to return home, only to find them shaken and frightened. Personal beliefs come into play as nationalities of the people draw forbidden spirits closer. An Asian grinning woman with her cheeks cut deeply, a banshee may appear as the veil is thinner, Little people hide and show toothy grins. Creatures summoned by the fear, by the activity, are drawn in, emboldened, showing themselves, terrorizing all as they do. Priests come, shamans as well, prayers, incense, smudging, vigils against evil of those that have become all too real. Then the worst haunting happens. Someone weak, confused, emotionally compromised is entered, indwelt by a spirit. Hell experienced through the eyes and face of your loved one. You watch in terror and concern as they writhe in place. Some defy reason, speaking in foreign tongues, exhibiting great strength, growling. This is an extremely desperate time. Priests return and often return again, until the person is finally freed of an evil, vice-like grip. Yet they are affected. They see things in waking hours and in dreams. They've been changed. Their minds open to the other side of both good and evil. Touched by the spirit world, they now walk with it, always aware and cautious. All houses are haunted, things possessed, people affected as the spirits, reticent in attitude wait for the next family, for the next opportunity, for you, me, anyone. They wait in dark corners to begin again, waiting for another family to buy a beautiful, yet foreboding home only to experience the same as the families before. The spirits wait eager, always eager to tramp on hardwood floors and stairs, to mumble in sleeping ears and seek out any foot exposed to dark night air to be the victim of a cold, gray hand and gaping mouth opened far too wide. All houses are haunted. All. In fairness, the exceptions come to fruition. Children aren't the only ones who play with imaginary friends. The elderly carry on conversation with spouses long since dead, with parents who reassure. Warm light enters a room with few windows and comforts the dying, ushering them onto a place of love and warmth. They then become spirits moving through ethereal planes, often to visit the grieving. No haunting, just a loving reminder that death isn't always dark, and certainly not the end. Love transcends death, and darkness gives rest to both the living and the dead in haunted houses. Well, thank you so much for your contribution, Bill. That was wonderful. I have to say, I think he pretty much covered it all when it comes to hauntings. And really, when you think about it, all houses are haunted. If you've got memories and you're communicating with someone who's not there, 
This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. In second place, we have Mackenzie Grondel. She is going to be getting a long sleeve logo t-shirt and a medal. Her entry is entitled Badgers, Super Colliders, and Satan. In 2006, a bird dropped a baguette into the electrical wiring of a Texas Super Collider, causing a massive system failure. A coordinated raccoon attack and counterstrike at Fermilab in Illinois delayed the resumption of experiments after a shutdown. In 2016, a pine marten infiltrated the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland as it was poised to discover new information about the Higgs boson god particle. It chewed through electrical wires. Not only did it die, but it shut down all functions for a week. We owe them a debt of gratitude. Without their sacrifice, Charlie's accidental summoning ritual would have been apocalyptic. Charlie Perth cleaned her house several times a week. She had teenagers who brought other teenagers who all produced dirt, crumbs, messes, and laundry. And they were always hungry like opportunistic disease. Consume, procreate, move on. Tonight she'd found her recipe for their treat watching a food history show on YouTube, Colonial Cookery. The host showed off the oldest recipe book in all European settlements. It contained two recipes one could still follow, a white cake and a demon cake. Since the kids were watching scary movies, Charlie chose the demon cake with its rich ginger, clove, and molasses. She imagined the maid scurrying in the three-season kitchen to finish dessert before their fingers froze in the October Boston air. Her house was colonial era in Pennsylvania with modern renovations, but the drafts in the attached kitchen struck a chill up her back in late fall and winter. Her kids thought she was crazy, but sometimes tools or ingredients would disappear or relocate, like some other cook was trying to direct her preparation. There were other strange things about the house as well. Stories of hauntings going back all the way to the first homestead. Charlie considered all this as she dumped the sticky, spicy sweet batter into the sprayed bunt pan. She placed five pumpkin seeds as the points of a star. Then she placed it in the oven. The YouTube video had a link in the description to an article repeating the history and the recipe of the cake. In one story, a woman accused of witchcraft baked the cake with bone meal instead of ground wheat, blood instead of egg, and teeth instead of the pumpkin seeds. The cake, when eaten, called a demon to serve the witch and strike her enemies dead. (laughs) Charlie laughed. How much power would it take, she thought, to enslave a demon to do your will? Probably a nuclear power plant's worth to do what she wished. It wasn't like the cake was chocolate. She set the table with plates, forks, and her special cutting knife. She'd forgotten drinking glasses and hustled to get them before the oven timer went off. Maybe a ghost maid could help her, Charlie pondered. No slaves, God forbid. Maybe slave owners and overseers or their wives. She could spend more time with her children. She could spend more time perfecting her craft. When the cake was done, it was beautiful and smelled divine. She let it cool while she drew runes on the serving board, then transformed the cake into coconut-covered glory. She cut a small piece outside the star outline inferred by the seeds. Then she tasted it, savoring the warm ginger and smoky molasses. Time to feed the demons, she said. A single demon popped up immediately and began nibbling on the exterior of the cake. Not you, not yet. After I feed the children. 
Yes, mistress. Where's your master demon? This cookery spell told of his coming. Ah, ha! The trollish demon exclaimed. All creation mocks the work of Satan. The magic is fragile in the United States. Not enough power to cross over. A team of honey badgers in Wisconsin nod into a cooling system. Complete system failure. I was counting on him to energize our hauntings before the neighbor sold his house, Charlie complained. Should be back up next week. Go back to hell with you then. I disinvite you from my home. Get out of my cake. See you next week, Charlie intoned. Feet came crashing down the steps from the second floor. Teens and preteens piled into the kitchen in a heap. Is the demon here? Is he ready to help? Our haunted house will be awesome. They high-fived. Charlie handed them napkins apologetically. I'm sorry, I tried, but only got a trollish, gnomish junior demon. Raccoons and Fermi? Pine Martins and Cern? The kids asked. Ghosts at my bells? The phantom behind Charlie says, and she jumps, causing her to giggle. Badgers in the wires, Charlie tells them all. Maybe next week. I have another new recipe for Satan salsa with Lucifer lemonade. Until then, what could she do about woodland creatures and international infrastructure security? Charlie considers this as she plates and sends her teens to do so much evil. Well, I enjoyed that. Apparently, you can use some of these super colliders and such to summon and power demons, especially the big guy, Satan himself. So apparently we got some natural, real animals messing around with the systems and keeping Charlie and maybe others from calling forth some of these bad demons and Satan. So power to the raccoons and pine martins, I say. A little drum roll, please. And now, in first place, we have Ruth Dempsey. She will be receiving a hoodie with the HGB logo and a medal. Her entry is entitled Beads. Katie, Marjorie called, searching the crowd. It was astonishing how quickly a five-year-old could vanish. But this is New Orleans, whispered a voice in her ear. She ignored it. Her grandmother called it a curse, the reason her family fled to America before the witch finder general could capture them. White gift, witch gift, to use it will damn you. Grammy, the bright bubbly child with her late grandfather's blue eyes ran up. There are roses. Madam says they come from France. She pointed behind her to one of the gated gardens off the street. That's nice, honey, but Mama and Daddy are very worried. You were supposed to stay with us. She took Katie's hand and saw a bracelet on her wrist. Where did you get that? It looked like simple black and red beads. Something about it made the hair on her neck prickle. Wrong, whispered something inside her. Madam gave it to me, she said simply as they walked back. Who is Madam? She's a beautiful lady from France. She wanted me to see her pretty roses from Versus. Versus? Oh, Versailles. How nice. You still weren't supposed to run away from us. Mmm, sorry, Katie chewed her lip. She called me and I just wanted to come. I don't know why. Wrong. It rang like a bell in her head. Wrong. She found her daughter and son-in-law on the next block. Katie was scolded and told she wouldn't be allowed to see the fireworks that night. She pouted but didn't argue. Honey, said Marjorie, why don't I put your bracelet away so you don't lose it? Katie pouted even more and started to balk, but Marjorie added, Please? The good words were a gift that damned her family the most. Words were powerful, and if uttered just so, could make things happen. She'd only used them three times in her life, but an inner prompting caused her to use them now. She sat down in the sitting room of the suite as Katie went to sleep. 
Music was rising in the street, and she could hear the boom of the fireworks. The beads felt suddenly heavy in her hand. She slid the bracelet over her wrist, unable to stop herself. She felt so tired. So very tired. The maid startled her awake. What? She began, but her voice was a croak. Bonjour, madame, she said in a beautiful Creole accent. We must take you to Tante Marie. Who are you? Her eyes fell on her hands as the maid and two of the housekeepers lifted her gently. They were withered, old, and the bracelets seemed to glow red. One to mean you only good, assured one of the housekeepers. Katie. Your granddaughter will be guarded by the best of protectors. That was a man's voice, firm and warm. Why were her eyes so heavy? Relax. They're helping, whispered that inner voice. She had no choice but to trust it. Drink. Tante Marie had a rich, timeless beauty. Her skin was a soft brown shaded with copper. There were few wrinkles at the corner of her eyes even as she smiled. There was a brown patterned turban covering her hair and vivid ropes of beads around her throat. Her robe was the same patterned cloth as her hair. Marjorie flinched a little at the bitterness of the brew in the cup, but it seemed to clear her head. Where am I? she asked. In a place you must be, said the older woman. She tugged at the bracelet on Marjorie's arm. Marjorie yelped as it seemed to dig into her skin. Why doesn't it come off? Tante Marie frowned at the tall man next to her. He was all in stylish black, his skin a smooth chocolate color, crowned with short, unruly dark curls and a wax mustache above a smile with very white teeth. Because Madame Athlon doesn't realize it hasn't worked yet, he said in that firm, warm voice that assured Marjorie that her granddaughter would be safe. She will soon. A shriek rang above their heads. Marjorie blinked. She was in a small earthen basement. She was in an old kitchen chair next to... Was that an altar? It was lit by dying candles. Black candles. Wrong, she said aloud to the ring in her head. Wrong. That a white gift will put right. The gentleman's smile widened like a wolf's snarl. Don't play with her, Sable, said Tante Marie. I'm not playing with her, Sable chuckled. It is my game, Marie. On my ground, Marie put her hand on Marjorie's shoulder. Rest assured. Whatever else he meant to say was interrupted by another scream. A beautiful woman with silvered hair came flying down the basement stairs. You, she shrilled, you. Marjorie Sterling, said Sable. May I introduce you to the most notorious mistress of the Sun King himself, Francois Isartornaise, the Marquise de Montspan. The true queen of France, the former noblewoman hissed. Why is this bazon here, Sibylle? Why are any of you here? I warned you, said Tante Marie. You were a guest in my city. I will tolerate none of your tricks. La Voisin warned you, Athen. You were given a black gift. A white gift would put all you did right. He lifted Marjorie's arm. You were not supposed to be wearing that. Athene snatched off the bracelet, her fingernails drawing blood. No wonder he felt little essence. Marjorie felt a jolt of anger. Essence? You gave this to my granddaughter to take something from her? How dare you? Bah. Yeah, Marquise Montespan. You wanted my use back. Who care about a peasant's child? That is my granddaughter you tried to steal from. I won't let you do it. She didn't get the chance, Tante Marie said with satisfaction. You took the bracelet. What essence she got came from you. Useless old man, Montespan spat. Marjorie felt a red rage like she had never felt before. Everything about the words she had schooled herself not to do tumbled out of her. Give it back. Give it all back. Sable began to laugh. Montespan stared at her. 
white hair crawled down her shoulders. Her skin withered, turned a mummified brown. Her face became a skull with a silent scream stretching her mouth as she crumbled into dust. What have I done? Marjorie gasped. Saved many people in my city. Tom Marie soothed her. And got yourself a reward in the process. Sable laughed. He touched her forehead. Sleep. This will all be a bad dream. Mom, Judy touched her shoulder. You fell asleep. Is Katie all right? She was fine, Marjorie yawned. I had the strangest dream. She looked in the mirror and felt the blood pound in her ears. She looked younger, at least 20 years younger. And got yourself a reward in the process. Well, it's a good thing that that grandma took the bracelet off her granddaughter's little arm there because that evil woman was trying to get her youthful essence and all she got was Marjorie's older essence. And then she got cursed right into the grave, it sounds like. Very cool and interesting story. Thanks for sharing it with us, Ruth. Kelly, those were great stories. I hope everybody enjoyed those. Thank you so much to those of you who participated this year. Yep, we thoroughly enjoyed them and we really appreciate it. Want to thank you guys for being with us for however long you've been here. Hopefully you will continue to be with us into the future. Here's to another great eight years and beyond. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.